looking at you, kid. I'm Charles Foster King! Hey, Stella! Suck on this. Right. Right. Now I've heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? going on everybody this is wrong real episode 463 it's a podcast for hardcore cinephiles where we tackle everything from jean-luc godard to jean-luc picard or as john cribs has famously said everything from captain kirk to douglas sirk and today we're going to be tackling the top 10 r-rated superhero movies ever made this was actually a live stream we did on youtube last night with martin kessler and adam rakoff we had an absolute blast in the chat and we even had a surprise appearance by two of my baby bros which was an unexpected pleasure now, I've been getting some angry DMs from folks wondering where the 1954 episode is. I promise the 1954 episode is in the process of being edited and about one-third of the way through. Due to some errors on my part, the sound mixing and the editing is taking way longer than I originally anticipated. So hopefully this episode at a bare minimum will tide you over in the interim. So without further delay, I hope you will enjoy our lively rant about the top 10 R-rated superhero movies ever made. Just another Saturday night. Power is a fragile thing. It's tearing me up how much I love you. Dwight, is that you? And what I gotta do. She owns me. She was an angel. When she wishes it, we die. One of these days, she'll pull the trigger. <laughs> it's a good game. You pee basketball! Basketball! Ah! What's going on, everybody? Thanks for your patience. We've been having some technical issues due to the crazy storm here in New York, and we've had this new thing where we haven't been able to hear each other, but right now, Adam and Martin Kessler and I can all hear each other, so thank you so much for joining us for tonight's live stream, where we'll be tackling what just might be the top 10 R-rated superhero movies ever made. Sadly, 2019 has not been a strong year so far for R-rated superhero flicks, but tonight we're going to remind everyone just how fantastic this genre can be when filmmakers are allowed to cut loose with generous quantities of sex and violence, along with some transgressive boundary pushing storylines. But joining me for this discussion, we have filmmaker, photographer, and the host of podcast Flixwise Canada, Martin Kessler. 
as well as producer Adam Rakoff, whose credits include a variety of projects with actor Matthew Modine, as well as animator Bill Plumpton. For those of you in the chat, feel free to dive in anytime with questions. Super chat donations will get priority, but we're going to do our best to get to everyone's questions. But with all that, I can't even speak. With all that out of the way, let's get started. Mr. Kessler, let's ease into this first by defining our parameters. We decided ahead of time to focus on live action due to the ocean of Japanese animation out there based on manga. But as a prep for this episode, I noticed how inconsistent and contradictory my own definition of a superhero movie can be. A perfect example is Robocop, which I consider to be a superhero movie, whereas I don't consider Conan the Barbarian to be a superhero movie in spite of his having appeared in over 100 Marvel comics right before the movie. So start us off. How do you find define this category? Right, it's it's a little bit tricky because we didn't make this episode uh, top ten R-rated comic book films of all time because you know you'd have stuff like Ghost World sneaking in or that sort of thing. Also, so superheroes, I, I think a big part of it is either they have some kind of like superhuman ability, obviously, or you know there's got to be some kind of costume involved. You know whether it's a cape or the Punisher's skull on his chest, some kind of a uniform costume. Uh, you know that gives it some kind of an iconic appearance. Some, some it's difficult to say why you don't really consider it a superhero film or why you do. There's like a, definitely a gray area. There's some stuff like uh, The Crow. It's based on a comic book. Yeah, I kind of don't think of it as a superhero movie. Or you know, the comic books have other genres in them than just superheroes. Of course, you have you know, war comic books, you have Archie comics, you have all these things. Uh, so, you know, obviously there's going to be a big overlap between uh, comic book movies and superhero movies, but, um, you know, certain things that we're going to be discussing aren't necessarily based on comic books, but I would still call them superhero films. So that's the kind of nebulous thing we're coming at with this uh episode. So hopefully people listening won't judge too harshly if we name something that isn't quite up to their standards of a superhero film or something where, you know, we say, ah, like I didn't really count that or consider that, that maybe they do. So also totally I consider myself a connoisseur and lifelong fan, but even for me, my, my definition is all over the place. Like I don't consider the matrix a superhero movie, although I love it as a science fiction film, but on the surface, of course it's a superhero movie. They're wearing tights, they're wearing leather, they have superpowers, but for whatever reason, I consider it just a pure hardcore science fiction kind of film noir combination and I, and I love and adore it, but I don't know why I have these inconsistent um, kind of standards or with like Frank Miller comics. 300 I think is an, a really, really fun kick-ass Zack Snyder flick, but I don't consider 300 to be a superhero movie, whereas I do Sin City, even though no one's wearing tights, but because like Marv right. has like super strength and, you know, uh, Miko has all these crazy samurai yeah. abilities, for whatever reason, you would think Sin City and 300 would either both qualify or neither would, but because I'm a human being and I am I have interesting contradictions, I put one in and take one out. So we're going to go with our own subjective definitions moving forward because this is your list. So <laughs> you get right. to make up the rules. So, <laughs> sure. Yeah, let's start getting our hands dirty. I have a bunch of questions in my back pocket and I'm definitely going to be taking questions from the chat. But just to give the listener something to chew on, start us off. Which flicks on your list are number 10, 9, and 8? On your okay. list. I tried to get the uh, controversial picks out of the way first. <laughs> and um, actually, my list is over here. I'll bring that back up. Uh, I should say, even before we get into the list, I kind of wanted to mention one film in particular, uh, Mr. Freedom by William Klein, 
which uh, I think couldn't quite fit it into my own top 10 list. But I thought it was interesting because it's a film from 1969. So, you know, we think of R-rated superhero films as being relatively new, or even, uh, you know, I think some people don't really think of R-rated superhero movies before uh, Deadpool even, you know, when it's kind of really blown up and become very common now. But um, it's at least half a century going back. Mr. Freedom, it's um, it, it's very satirical. It's like a Vietnam-era satire of American foreign policy. And this Mr. Freedom character is kind of a joke version of Captain America. You know, he goes around with these big shoulder pads and two pistols, and he's meant to be fighting communism. And, you know, there's more... Um, there's maybe more interesting William Klein films and more interesting R-rated superhero films, but I just wanted to bring it up because, uh, you know, that seems like a good starting point. The idea of the film, it's maybe more interesting than the film itself. But, uh, you know, with that in mind, there's a long history of R-rated superhero films. So I'll, I'll get into my list. So my uh, 10, 9, and 8, I have... Uh, Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, which I think is potentially well, the, the, the most controversial yeah. version. Yeah, the ultimate uh, edition was R, but the the, <laughs> yes. the theatrical was PG thirteen. Yeah. And I, I would say, like the R rated version is the better version. It's a little bit more fleshed out. You kind of get a better sense of continuity. I still think it's a mess. Even the uh, extended version, it's a total mess. But it kind of you know, it, it doesn't quite turn into a train wreck, I don't think. I think it barely makes it into the station. And just the fact that you have, you know, two of the biggest superheroes ever, these big properties with a massive budget, and then, you know, somebody like Zack Snyder doing something that's fairly idiosyncratic, I, I think is really interesting. It's, um, you know, maybe from a financial standpoint, wasn't the smartest decision building a whole universe around an aesthetic and a director who's, you know, like I, I think got a limited appeal. Is the yeah, best it's almost way to like he could have, yeah. if he'd stayed in the world of three hundred, if he'd stayed in the world of Watchmen, and mm-hmm. off in his own sandbox. But if you try to build an extended universe, like I really love moments in B and BVS, like when you're when they're fighting Doomsday and you're seeing just cosmic yes. energy unleashed on this grand scale, like we'd never really seen godlike superheroes throwing down like that in such a fashion. Now it's just in awe. But then there's like this. Three thousand hour long movie with like this horribly sure. screen. Well, like, it's, <laughs> and, and, but it's so I just want to give weird. A quick like shout out to some oh. familiar faces in the chat because we got a lot of familiar faces. We got Dennis Epps. Hell yeah! We got Mister Scurry who still has his moderator duties. So um, if you misbehave, he can throw you out. We got Sky oh. Movies. It's what four ten in the morning over in uh, in Wales right now. So that's Sky. awesome. Well, I think he might still be on the on the the east coast of the. Oh, US. he's still in Florida on vacation. Yeah. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, everybody, uh, check think... out his website, Film Eighty Nine. We got Sir Duncan the Small, who's always a, a regular here. We got Fred Schaefer. Hell yeah! I think Fred has been to every single live stream so far. We got Quasar Sniffer, aka John Arminio. We got Joe Duffy. Oh, and so who is four zero two one nine seven one? Quick announcement: If you have, um, if you know us from Twitter and you have a name that doesn't match how we know you definitely identify yourself in the chat just so we can uh, give you a proper shout out and Joe Duffy who's also never missed a live stream he's uh, we got him hanging out so a lot of familiar faces hell yeah so all right so what is your number nine Mr. Kessler uh, my number nine is Deadpool 2 which I just rewatched today and I think you know Deadpool it's going to be remembered as the uh, the watershed kind of movie for 
making a lot of these uh, seem commercially viable and, you know, inspiring a lot of uh, maybe studio executives to go in that R-rated direction for superhero films because it made a ton of money. And really, like, my only defense for liking the second one is I, I just think it's a little bit funnier and more fun. Like, I agree with people who say that Deadpool 2 is the safest possible sequel for a film that took a lot of chances but really like i like the cast i like th that whole stretch from the skydiving sequence up through the car chase oh, that's I think hysterical really, no i mean it, it's a great team, blend of like comedy and action yeah yeah the team is great and the skydiving is hysterical and i love domino and i loved cable yeah i really intensely hated their use of juggernaut and i really intensely hated their use of the little fat kid with flame powers but oh, there was I, I a lot of great him, but <laughs> okay well, well i loved him and um you know what what was the um, for the wilder people. people yeah he's yeah. so damn he's funny fantastic in that. in that yeah yeah absolutely but i think i prefer deadpool one because what it has that the other one does not have is moments where deadpool actually is briefly serious and i think right. deadpool's at his funniest when he does have moments where he goes to the dark side and that's also true to the comics he occasionally will have moments of where he's not just Quip, 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 just quipping all over the place. And I think that variety makes his jokes have a little bit more impact. But yeah, I, I did enjoy Deadpool 2, but I've seen Deadpool 1, I think, five times. I, I get that. I like it, might just be to my taste that I find the second one like a little bit more rewatchable. Like it, it's, uh, it's a pretty breezy watch for its runtime. And, you know, the, the jokes come kind of hard and fast. <laughs> and, uh, Zazie Beats is really cool as Domino. That's Hell yeah. like my, my highlight incredible. of the film. And how they visually realized the idea of luck as a superpower is really fun in that. And um, yeah, like that, that's just, a, I think, a solid sequel that, uh, you know, maybe maybe overall some people might not like as much, but definitely has some scenes that I think outdo the first one. Or Well, I think know, it was slightly splitting. more expensive yeah. to make, and I think it made slight less. But the first one, the big success was that it was like a $50 million move that ended up grossing right. like 600 worldwide. It was just it way outperformed <clears throat> expectations, whereas <laughs> the second one, expectations were through the roof, and they had bigger scale. It was just bigger everything. Right. So I think comparatively, it was less of a success. You know, and like the first one also had that kind of groundswell of like, Oh, we really want this film to get made. After that uh, footage of the test, test footage got leaked, and people kind of saw, oh, like this is what a Deadpool film could be like. Let's actually request this. <laughs> Let's hope that filmmakers can actually make this. And I, I think it had a lot of goodwill already, even going into production. The first film. So yeah, yeah, did, yeah. Did, anyone, did either of you see the PG thirteen? Deadpool 2 with no what's up on a Deadpool yeah. I, I, I don't know like it, it's a pretty hard sell to be like hey that film that you've already seen the R-rated <laughs> version of why don't you go back in for the PG-13 version except there's more Fred Savage right. yeah. so, <laughs> everything you love about beer except for the alcohol it's like yeah no thank you <laughs> also, a quick shout out to Bill Tech tough. and John Cribs have joined the uh, have joined the chat so our guests from this past Saturday the uh, our James Bond live stream so also quick shout out to Bill Tech who posted easily the funniest video I saw all day as he was opening up his uh, Moonraker trading cards <laughs> which had me shitting my pants with laughter. That was so goddamn good. So job well done, Bill. You put a huge smile on my face. All right. So Cass, what is your number eight? Uh, my number eight is Tank Girl, which... Oh, interesting. 1995. Going back to the 90s. I know, it's a little long in the tooth. And I, I think like at the time, it just didn't quite have the budget. Most superhero movies didn't have the budget to really realize what was in the comics, but I really love the ways that it stretches its budget. 
you know, and there's just like an energy and creativity and imagination to it. And I think um, like some people probably watch it a little bit ironically or think it, think of it as a camping movie, but really it's, it's like punk rock, goofy fun. <laughs> you know, you have Ice-T as a kangaroo monster, <laughs> which is really strange, but you know, I find like it, it's such an endearing movie with the uh, little animated segments. And that's what I was going to say. The animated yeah. sequence about halfway through is like, God damn, like, why didn't you do the whole movie like this? The animation is beautiful. just stunning. Right. And what I really love that how it has all these great little like cutaways to like images from the comics that just kind of flash yeah. by. And I love it when a movie decides to incorporate the original imagery in some way. So I'm not as in love with Tank Girl as you are, but I was blown away by just the love of the source material and the reminder of the source material. And I, one of the things, one of the things I want to talk about in tonight's live stream is how it seems like superhero movies are drifting away from the source material and the flavor of the source material in favor of this kind of new global mainstream flavor. And I miss the rough edges of the comic book source material that used to be much more prevalent, it seemed like maybe like 10 years ago or so. Right. I mean, I think there's a push to kind of make it like the definitive version of any particular superhero. And that kind of means pulling away from, you know, maybe a, a comic book interpretation that's more unusual or a filmmaker's interpretation that's a little bit more unusual. Like it's not R-rated, but uh, maybe my favorite superhero movie, it's Batman Returns, which is, like more of a Tim Burton film than anything else. Like he just, yep. his style completely dominates that. Like it's a Batman film second. <laughs> so it seems almost less likely today that you would see, you know, that kind of a tourist approach where they just have that much control over a project. And like, again, my tepid defense of Batman v Superman, I think like it's a obviously a flawed film, but one thing I like about it is just that kind of feeling that, you know, maybe there's one, voice behind this rather than it you know something that's been constructed by a committee yeah that's that's a, a trend i'm noticing as well is that the distinctive idiosyncratic flavor of an individual filmmaker at least when it comes to superheroes seems to be a little bit on the wane and it's one of the things where is it a trend or is it like a, a just a statistical anomaly that but i do just see some worrying signs that some of that distinction in the flavor and the styles seems to be eroding but maybe it's a good opportunity to get some of our buddies in the chat into the conversation adam any of these maniacs that we collaborate with on a regular basis what what have we missed so far in the in the conversation there really hasn't been any questions mostly comments on everyone's favorite R-rated superhero movies. So it's, well, I saw a question whether or not Martin Kessler was willing to take his shirt off to make things well, interesting. Kessler, are you, are you going to skin off for this conversation? Uh, people would have to donate a lot to get me. To gotcha. I like it. I like it. I like your style. <laughs> <laughs> the gauntlet has been burned down. <laughs> I will definitely skin off. If the price is right, but I guess I will have to wait and see on uh, what that dollar amount might be. But this might be our first half-naked podcast. <laughs> uh, some of these R-rated superhero movies, too, I, I got to say, disturbed me way less than like some of the PG or PG-13 stuff. Like Tank Girl, I was almost shocked going back and realizing that, oh, yeah, there's an R rating on this. Because like, like Batman Returns scared me way more as a kid. It, it's just like full of disturbing images and has such a dark tone and like... Compared to that, you know, Tank Girl, I could just watch as a kid and it felt like bright and colorful. And I don't know if maybe the, like there's a bit of violence, but uh, at the time, if people might have been uptight about like some of the sexuality, because Tank Girl's pretty, uh, 
you know, she, she has, uh, she's a free spirit. And like, yeah. you know, there's scenes where she's kissing Jet Girl. And I don't know if like maybe 1995 uh, censors might've been a little bit more uptight about that. So like, I think sometimes they, they been, already But also speaking the of the kissing, period. young oh, yeah. Naomi Watts is in there. Naomi right. Watts, so obviously everyone thinks her, her career started with Mulholland Drive, but Naomi Watts yeah. looks like she's like 11 in that. But I think she was like 25 when she did Tank Girl. Yeah, she, she's fun with the, the accent going on and she gets to play Jet Girl and uh, they're they're a cute couple. So <laughs> Jet right. Girl. It's interesting yeah. what you said about Batman Returns because I think that it was originally rated R. They they had okay. to fight to get it to a PG-13. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I think Burton left the franchise. He felt like he couldn't make the films he really wanted to make that they – you know, they wanted to tame them too much, but that's interesting. Gotcha. I just heard like rumors about his um, idea for a third Batman film that he kind of left after the second one, and that's how it ended up in Joel Schumacher's hands. But like he was going to have uh, Billy D. Williams as Two Face, who's already kind of introduced in the second film, and you can you the see first him, movie. Like, he was introduced in the first, oh, yeah. all the way back in the first one, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So like, you know, he was laying this groundwork, and uh, you know. You see more movies planned like that now where it kind of teases the next film and the previous film, but you know, it wasn't quite like sequel baiting, it was like laying the threads that you could tie into a you know, he proper conclusion. Create, he was yeah. trying to create like a, a, a mini cinematic universe basically for his uh, and if and, and in many ways, the Flash series from 1989 kind of fits into stylistically the the, the Tim Burton verse as well, it has the same. Danny Elfman music. It has a, a similar kind of uh, matte painting for the city that they used in the, the yeah. first Batman. So there was a little t attempt there early on, I think, I mean, to create For something. a little while, like the post-Tim Burton Batman superhero films, you got a sense that like they saw that comic book superhero movies could be big, but hadn't quite figured out how exactly. And, you know, right. you had stuff like Dick Tracy or you had stuff like, um, uh, you know, Rocketeers, you know, not... Uh, well, I guess you could say Rocketeer's a superhero movie, right? You know, and that, yeah. that oh, 100%. Was laid it's out, not like, R-rated, but it's, not, it's like, got Jennifer Connelly's Art cleavage Deco, on Batman kind of thing going. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, I think of like Judge Dredd, the uh, Sylvester Stallone version yeah. of the world building and the kind right, of... Well, press, press pause real quick because that is my first official question for oh, you. Okay. Judge Dredd, 1995 versus Dredd, 2012. Make a controversial stand. Where do you... Well, what do you prefer and why? Uh, well, I, I feel like it, it's sort of obvious, maybe not to everyone, but I, I prefer the new Dread by far, Dread 3D. <laughs> That's actually my number six uh, pick anyway, so that, that was going to come oh, very up. very cool. Excellent. <laughs> no matter what. But uh, like I remember when Dread 3D was coming out, I don't know what it was about the advertising, but I already had like a chip on my shoulder when the film was coming out. Like, I, you know, like I think I kind of like the Sylvester Stallone one. I know it's not exactly like the comic books, but it's, you know, it's a 90s action movie with the robots. That's awesome. I like that. Like the new one looks kind of self-serious. It looks like, it, you know, is it trying to do like Judge Dredd Dark Knight kind of a thing? And like, as soon as I was in the theater and started watching, I, I shut right up because it was excellent. And, uh, I, you know, one of the few examples of films that I think used 3D really effectively and you think of those slow motion sequences and the use of color, like it actually had way more uh, personality than I, I think the trailers really showed off at the time. And I think maybe it, it like wasn't a big box office hit. It might've even, you know, been like a mild flop or like mild success, but uh, you know, Carl Urban's performance was excellent. And I liked the way that 
you know, it felt really grounded. You know, Lena Headey as the, the villain was excellent too, Citizen Mama. Uh, but, uh, you know, most superhero films, they try to up the stakes usually. It's it's like a matter of, you know, they go to save the world and how do you up that for the sequel? And one thing I liked about the new Dread film was it actually lowered the stakes and it made it feel smaller and it made it feel like just a day on the job. And, you know, that's kind of where the satire comes in. It's like, oh, in the future, this is just a regular drug bust is this like intense action movie but yeah every day of your life it might be the raid (laughs) right and uh, you know i've heard like you know there's some rumors that um was alex garland i think might have ghost directed most of the film he did yeah he Uh, he wrote it and then he really stepped in to kind of save the day when the movie was falling apart it makes you wonder what might he have accomplished if he just had control from the start, because I thought right. Ex Machina was just a masterful, kick-ass little sci-fi flick. It's like, well, goddamn, somebody give him. I mean, obviously, Annihilation was his last big one, but I've got a lot of high hopes for Alex Garland, mostly because he loves to play Dark Souls, but also because he <laughs> wrote like 28 Days Later, and he's a right. very solid filmmaker. But while we're comparing different eras and different movies, because I think one of these might have made your list as well, 1989 or 2004 or 2008, where do you stand on the three Punisher movies? Like all Netflix shows notwithstanding, but you have three Punisher R-rated movies. Where do you stand? Did any of them make your list? Yeah, uh, one made my number four spot, and that's uh, Punisher Warzone. The Alexander reboot, which, uh, you know, it's got a lot going for it. I think... I don't know how it's kind of got this like reputation as like, oh, that's a, that one's a mess. That's a bad film. It, like, I think it's clearly the best Punisher film by far. And it's not an origin story. It just kind of, you know, takes off from the get-go. It's already the Punisher killing gangsters. And it's gorgeous. Like, it's almost like unnecessarily good how good looking the film is. Um, you know, it has these crunched blacks and neon and it's so stylish and... Uh, you know, the lead performance, I, I think, like, it's very Terminator-like. Uh, is it Ray Steven? Mm-hmm. Stevens? Ray Stevenson. Yeah. Yeah. Off of Rome, you know, he played Titus Polo. It's, like, big, hulking, intimidating guy. And not, like, um, like Thomas Jane, I, I think, like, his approach to Punisher was more like a lean kind of guy. Or Dolph Lundgren just played him as, like, generic action <laughs> hero kind of guy. But, you know, like, Ray Stevenson's approach to Punisher... Uh, you know, he like wasn't super in shape, but he was like a killing machine and uh, very intimidating. And that worked well. And, you know, the great, great villains with uh, Jigsaw and Looney Bin Chip. And I, I think probably most people might prefer the miniseries because that feels kind of more grounded in reality. But Season I like two the- of Daredevil is my right. favorite Punisher. So I thought season two of Daredevil <laughs> knocked that character out of it because he was used sparingly. Yeah. Yeah, he had a great scene in jail where he was, where he was fucking all those people up. Yeah. I just thought he nailed it. But a quick shout out to some folks in the chat that I've seen. Uh, we got Mackenzie Lambert, who's going to be coming on the live stream at some point, but definitely check out his podcast. And who else? Oh, Jeffrey Lane. Anyone else? All right. So Adam, uh, I, I'm going to pause chat. in my questions. Oh, we had a super chat. <laughs> yeah. Bill Very nice. wants to know uh, Swamp Thing, the 1982 film had boobs and creepy, weird violence, but it wasn't rated R. Yeah, it PG. scared me as a kid. What's up with that? <laughs> was that a Wes Craven movie? It is a Wes Craven movie, yeah. and I just sp- spoke about it because I did uh, my review of Swamp Thing right. 1 and 2, yeah. which come out this Friday. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, 
Adrian Barbaro is one of the most beautiful women's ever lived. John Carpenter is a very lucky man. And that was one of my earliest exposures to nudity, period. And it did upset me. Like when the villain, was it Louis Jordan's, how do you say his name? When he transforms at the end, really terrified me. I haven't revisited it since probably about 1983. I saw it over and over and over again on HBO because we had just gotten HBO and Swamp Thing was playing all the time. So I thought it was an R-rated movie. And when I started preparing for this uh, live stream, I looked up, it was like, PG. I was like, what? Like, Admittedly, PG used to mean a very different thing. PG used to mean butt crack. It used to yeah. mean like children being murdered on screen. Like PG but, is like way more hardcore than PG-13 is today. I so mean, I think we're just going to – Yeah, I think we should PG. just retroactively give Swamp Thing an R even if it didn't get a label yeah. as an R at that time. But Bill, can't thank you enough for the donation. You've been very generous with past videos. So uh, as I said before, your next glass of single malt is on me. Well, for the Kevin Marr uh, party on uh, not this – I think it's three weeks from now. Anyway, I'll see you in the flesh in the very near future. We have another donation of $2 from Mackenzie Lambert. Oh, yep. fuck yeah. Hell yeah. Nay or nay, Dick Tracy reboot in the style of Sin City. I think uh, I'll let Mr. Castle like take Tracy, that one. It would be like Dick Tracy reboot in the style of Sin City. That'd probably be just like the spirit, right? Like the, the, those are sort of weird tones that kind of like as soon as you put it in black and white and stylize it like that might might start to feel weird. Like I think a Dick Tracy, if you're going to take the Sin City approach, it would just be like brightly colorful. Like it would be yellow everywhere and like really gaudy kind of primary colors. Uh, you probably have well, like I would like. A cartoony, very comic book heavy, like visual style, but in color. For me, Dick Tracy's all about yeah. the colors. So while I love the aesthetic of Sin City in terms of capturing the panels, like very specific panels, and I have to say, I re uh, revisited both the Sin Cities, uh, and I have to say, I've been sleeping on A Dame to Kill For. I think A Dame to Kill For has been unfairly maligned, unfairly ignored. It was a wild movie. Josh Brolin's so good. Ava Green, it might be the sexiest performance in any R-rated quote-unquote superhero and or comic movie ever. I mean, I, I was like absolutely is like the queen of giving like sexy, overly good performances in films that, you know, sequels that to uh, Frank Miller's stories. Or, I, I yeah. don't know what, like, because she's also in the 300 sequel. And uh, Dana Kilfort, have you seen any of the behind the scenes? I have not. I've owned, I've seen since I saw Sin City in the theater, and then I saw the extended version where it just breaks up all the stories into right. four separate short films. Where I don't really, I don't really like how it doesn't even feel like a movie anymore. I kind of like the interconnectivity between all the various stories in the original cut, but I appreciate the additional mm -hmm. footage. But I like a Dane to kill for because it's all jumbled together and kind of stirred into the same pot, and I like to see how all the stories overlap. But if you just want to watch. Hard goodbye um, with the you know the the Marv story like kind of in isolation. I get if you just want to see that story as is, but man, I think I might even rank a Dame to Kill for even higher than the first. So in answer to your question, yes, I would kill to see a great Dick Tracy movie. Bill Tech, who's in the chat, loves the original Dick Tracy. I saw in the theater and I was just kind of nonplussed. I was fourteen and didn't quite know what to expect. And I need I haven't revisited it since. So I'm definitely some of, like the makeup choices are so bizarre and like some of the things in it are so unusual that I don't like now it's probably more acceptable to have a film where like everyone's made up like that or you know, yeah. even use CGI to exaggerate their features and do something like that. But at the time it just felt kind of like out of left field and you're not sure what to make of it. And it's kind of in that, you know, Tim Burton's Batman mold where it's creating a world. But it's also, you know, I, I think audiences might not have wanted that world at that time. So it's probably, you know, fresh for a 
reboot or remake. Did you or, see the short I mean, if, film if, if, that Warren Beatty did to hang on to the rights? I mean, Warren oh, Beatty, he held on to the rights a couple years ago by making a short thing, film. Where he's interviewing himself as Dick Tracy? Or was that a different one? I, I think that's precisely what you're talking about. Oh, whoa, 20 bucks from Bill Tech. I'm sorry. So put a pin in that. Okay. What's your dream R-rated comic adaptation? What comic would you make or remake with? I was terrified he's going to ask me to get naked. And I think at 20 bucks, I'd probably have to uh, acquiesce. <laughs> but uh, that's actually one of my questions toward the end of the show. So we'll go ahead and uh, we'll, 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 all three of us right now, we'll, we'll okay. toss out an idea. So Adam, we'll let you go first. What is your dream R-rated comic adaptation that you think is ripe for handling? And uh, yeah, I've got... I mean, yeah, I've got a, a bunch of suggestions, but I have a certain world that I want to see tackle, but we'll let you go first. Um, man, putting me on the spot here. Uh, I mean, we've, I, I mean, I love seeing mainstream, you know, Marvel and DC characters handled in a more mature manner, which is why I agree with you. I, I really enjoyed the, the ultimate edition of Batman versus Superman. I mean, I, that it, it, like you said, it has all these amazing scenes that by themselves are just incredible. Like the warehouse battle uh, with Batman, just, you know, it's, it's just, I can watch that over and over again. I would like to see more movies tackle these heroes in, in that sort of adult uh, sensibility um, and not just the ultimate edition, but the actual theatrical versions. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, really any of the, I would love to see, you know, X-Men handled in a more mature manner. I think that could be incredible. It doesn't have to be like hardcore violence, but I just think these movies should be a little more dark than what they've been, than what we've been getting. And um, I've always felt that, as, as we've discussed previously, that a lot of these, uh, like even like Dark Knight and Dark Knight, uh, Retur- you know, Dark Knight Rises, um, really should be R-rated movies. They just didn't include any blood. So as a yep. result, it's a, it's an R-rated movie with lots of killing and lots of people getting beaten, and, and but there's like no consequences for it. There's no, uh, it, it's it's actually in a way worse because kids think, oh, that's how people die. Okay, where no, it's more like Saving Private Ryan in the opening. So, it's uh, yeah, I, I I can't put my finger on a single superhero or comic at the moment, but I just would like to see the entire genre handled a little more uh, maturely. Well, I've got one word, Wildstorm. Mm. That is like it's teed up to be the perfect R-rated superhero shared universe. And just to see Warren Ellis's Stormwatch and Warren Ellis's The Authority, Warren Ellis's Planetary, which are all kind of immersed in that world, I would give y'all's right arms and maybe my left arm to see that world fleshed out in the proper way. And just get Warren Ellis. Try. I mean, we see Warren Ellis wrote. Probably the best G.I. Joe movie we'll ever see. He's just an incredible writer. And I feel like if you read the first few arcs on Authority and the first few arcs on Planetary, it makes you fall in love with comics. Those are what brought me back to comics after a several-year hiatus. So that would be my answer. Mr. Kessler, see you holding some comics up. What do you you got for us? I I just wanted to echo your comments on the Authority. I I think, you know, that would be sort of a dream, big-budget, R-rated superhero film. It has the right kind of tone, sense of humor, sense of action and violence, interesting characters. You know, it has this like sort of Paul Verhoeven satirical edge to it, which I I think would translate to the screen very, very well. You know, seeing kind of faux versions of popular superheroes, um, you know, being bad or (laughs) getting blown apart. Or you get to see Batman and Superman basically like as boyfriends. (laughs) Yeah, like two of the most popular characters. 
I was gonna get I'm more. The I was gonna use more profanity, but I decided to tap the brakes on my colorful language. <laughs> now they have like their own spinoffs and stuff, like you know, and they're the coolest characters in the whole thing. Like that, you know, it's not making a joke out of that. It's it's sort of making fun of things that already exist in the comic book world, and then kind of breaking down boundaries and pushing limits. And I, I think that's probably what people might want from an R-rated superhero film. Also, like yeah, my dream, uh, my dream superhero movie. I don't know if it would necessarily be R-rated, but uh, could be. Would be like a big budget uh, Catwoman film. And the fact that oh, like there's nice. already a Catwoman movie that you know stars Halle Berry and has uh, you know like Sharon Stone as the villain, and it's like god awful, just breaks my heart. You know, like there should be a really great Catwoman film. Like, if, you know, you could do something a little bit like uh, what in Rome, you know, and do like a classy Catwoman story that feels a little bit like a throwback to um, to Catch a Thief and stuff like that. Like I think God, yeah. a really good Catwoman film that would be kind of my dream pick too. Yeah, it's like if we could wind back the clock and get Michelle Pfeiffer to just do like three Catwoman movies where she travels the world and you could bring in secondary or kind of second tier DC characters. Yeah. It would have been the coolest thing. I think she almost history. got one where like Catwoman goes to Vegas or something like that. <laughs> fights the mob there was a script going around and then i think like it got rewritten and then kind of pushed around and rewritten and pushed around and it gradually morphed into you know the halle berry catwoman but the, you know that was like over several years of rewriting and kind of people not knowing what to do with the project you know if it struck while the iron was hot and just made like a michelle pfeiffer catwoman film you know two years or three years after batman returns i think that would have been a huge hit because like she's the best on screen version you know i like um like a you know, number of actresses that play the character at this point and uh you know even the, the dark knight rises i kind of like the sort of how to steal a million audrey hepburn kind of take on catwoman even or you know the tv shows there's been different versions the cartoon has a version but like i for me michelle pfeiffer's she owns it you know peak peak catwoman yeah. All right. I just want to do a quick shout out to some folks in the chat. Eggplant Man 21, Ghost Rider as a hard R rated grindhouse flick would be sick. 100% agree. Ghost Rider's been sadly um, abused by the filmmaking <laughs> process. And Andre Sarmiento, very cool to see you again. A goddamn movie, a trans metropolitan, 100% agree. But I might even one up you and say it'd be better as a TV show, but you'd have to get. Derek Robertson to at least consult as a visual consultant, and you'd have to get Warren Ellis to write the scripts. I'm, I'm committing Warren Ellis for a, a lot of work, but Transmetropolitan would be just absolutely sick. Uh, Tristan Lofting, very cool. So great to see you again. So yeah, a lot of familiar faces. So welcome back to everybody. But Here's a quick, I, uh, a quick question. Any word on Tim Miller and David Fincher working on The Goon? I gave to that Kickstarter campaign years ago. I used to wear my Goon t-shirts in a lot of my videos. Yeah, and they... The little sample, my understanding at the time is that they basically were doing a proof of concept. They're raising money to do like a highlight reel or like, or at least a scene which they could then shop around and try to get off the ground. And the animation was so true to Eric Powell's source material. It looked gorgeous. It looked so damn cool. And I haven't heard anything in years. So they clearly need Adam Rakoff running their Kickstarter campaign <laughs> yeah. to do better alerts because Adam is the best Kickstarter campaign manager you could ever hope to come across. But I, the, the answer is no, I have not heard anything. But man, you're talking about um, missed opportunity because what I what little I saw looked stunning. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, Just Kessler, let's get like back to your list. You've already alluded yeah. to uh, well, you've already alluded to some of these, but let's uh, give us your seven, six, and five in case people are new and they didn't hear it earlier. So I think you've already given us okay. your six, but what is seven, six, yeah, and five? Uh, on so your list? Dread, Dread, three D. Um, my number seven is Zyram, dipping my toe into Japan uh, for a 
it has an anime that was based on it, but it's just a feature film that I, I think qualifies as a super, superhero film. And my uh, number five is Logan. So gotcha. Yeah, there's the already X Men showing up, uh, but yeah, Zyram. It's uh, it's unusual in that it kind of balances these two totally disparate tones. Like I try to tell people, it's a bit like Power Rangers meets John Carpenter's The Thing, or Power <laughs> Rangers meets Aliens or The Predator. You know, it sort of feels like an episode of Power Rangers, kind of a superhero thing that's just made for adults and has violence and you know, cool. Uh, you know, superhero outfits with uh, technology and guys getting sucked into an alternate dimension where there's this like unstoppable killing alien called uh, Zyram, which people might have seen the gif on the internet without realizing it, where it has this like little tiny uh, geisha face that smiles and looks really creepy because it's like a puppet. It's not a real person's face and it comes out like a tentacle and it's oh, just 100%. fantastic Absolutely. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> so that's where that's from. And like there are other you know, Japanese superhero things I was kind of looking at, like uh, Takashi Miike's uh, Zebra Man, but I think that's actually not R-rated. You sort of assume Takashi Miike, like, everything he does is all R-rated, but that didn't pan out. And, like, a lot of stuff, it's um, it's sort of based on anime, and that kind of turns into its whole world. Like, I think some you could make a case for are, like, anime that are also about superheroes. Like, One Punch Man is totally in that superhero wheelhouse and it you know that's like very clearly you know people in capes fighting <laughs> but uh you know sometimes it, it gets a bit messy and you know that's a road that could quickly turn into a you know debate so i, I didn't want to go too far but that's my one pick yeah it's like do you consider ichi the killer or old boy to be yeah. r-rated superhero movies like they definitely are rated comic book movies <laughs> but are they superheroes uh, for me, I consider both of them kind of just like art house films or grindhouse films, which is once again, it's like just an arbitrary distinction because yeah. old boy fucking rocks and each of the killer is just bananas. Like you will right. never forget either. They did not make my list, but if I was going to make a list of like top 10 hardcore comic book movies, they probably yeah. would. So yeah, my, my script violence and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. Well, I've got a question just about trends overall, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, but with Avengers Endgame now, the number two highest grossing movie in history, unadjusted for inflation, along with countless other shows and movies in the works, it would appear on the surface that the superhero genre is healthier than ever, but creatively, I'm starting to notice a little atrophy and an aversion to risky storylines. Visually, we used to see films like Sin City, 300, and The Watchmen, where directors went to great lengths to have a distinct original style inspired by the comics. Or we'd see movies like Super or Kick-Ass that turned the whole genre upside down with these really kind of just bizarre, satirical storylines. Are we in a cold streak, or is the industry trending in less exciting fashion creatively, at least when it comes to adult entertainment? Or am I just being an alarmist because <laughs> Hellboy and uh, Brightburn happened to disappoint me recently? Right. I I think these things probably go in trends and we might not realize it because we're in a slope because like, you know, just living through this like boom of superhero films, it feels like every couple of years I'm like, ah, they kind of, they're getting stale. I'm getting kind of bored of them. And then something will come along that completely revitalizes it for you and makes you interested and engaged again. So like, I think, you know, it just might be that next thing around the corner. Part of the function of having these shared universes is it does kind of neuter director's visions a little bit you know you can you know the, some studios give them enough freedom that they can kind of put some of their personality into it but a lot of times it kind of feel like 
you know, you, you have to make these pieces fit and, you know, that's, that's sort of understandable. Like, I think it becomes tricky to, you know, show, uh, for instance, if you're going to have like Blade enter the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Wesley Snipes killing a million vampires and having a blood orgy where he slays all these monsters, you know, to have him like go and interact with, uh, you know, Spider-Man and say hello and how do you do? <laughs> it, would, it would feel really strange. You know, you so I, I think they have to kind of... You need Marvel, yeah. if you do Marvel Knights... And which originally was a thing with like a Punisher, um, yeah. Punisher, uh, Punisher Warzone. Warzone was that, and, and I think the one of the um, one of the, the Ghost second Rider Ghost Rider films. Yeah, which yeah. the second Ghost Rider film, I always think like there's a couple neat things in there. But you got ne um, Neville Dean and Taylor who did uh, Crank and Crank Two, and Gamer, which I, like I think is kind of an underrated sci-fi action film, and they made like a, a film that wasn't totally crazy <laughs> like you know if they did a ghostwriter film that felt like crank 2 i think like that would have been i amazing. love crank 2 like crank 2 is more of a comic the, book the film scene at the horse the horse track is. or the racetrack <laughs> is one I, I watch it like once every couple of days just to make myself feel better but it's just uh it, it's like country music and it's love in the dust and it's just a wonderful beautiful stuff i just absolutely I love, love when, it. Uh, mr rakoff they what do you think where they turn into kaiju monsters like it's a little yeah. Robert jason statham it's so ridiculous <laughs> But Adam, going back to this idea of um, whether or not we're in a creative period that where some of these kind of edgier superhero movies are kind of atrophying, am I being overly, am I, am I being overly cynical, or is there, or is this um, where? How do you kind of view the competitive landscape when it comes to the variety of different types of superhero movies we're seeing? Yeah, I think up until the first Avengers came out in 2012, is that right? Yeah. Um, there was a lot. It wasn't quite clear yet. It, that this connected universe MCU was really going to be what it is now, right? It was still kind of building, and and there was a little sort of mixed results in the films, pre you know predating the Avengers. Um, but when when Avengers hit, it became really apparent, right? It became really apparent that this was that Marvel was getting their ship together, and this was the new direction that everybody had to go if they were going to get into the the comic book movie superhero space. But prior to that, I think there was a lot more, it was more of a free for all. It was like, let's just find a property and find a really, find a director that's passionate about it and create something unique and individual with that property. And there was a lot more, I think, experimentation as a result up until that point. But after that first Avengers came out and became such a blockbuster hit and just paved the road for the, uh, the you know, phase two and phase three of the MCU, you know, DC jumped on board in 2013 with, you know, the Zack Snyderverse with Man of Steel trying to, to replicate that success. It all just kind of went in a new direction, I think, at that point. So I would agree with you, James, that we're, we're in a new era from essentially 2012 onward. If you think about it, Dread, you know, Kick-Ass, Watchmen, all of those films came prior to Avengers, really. Yeah. And so, super. I, mean, I, I rewatched yeah. the, uh, the ultimate edition of the Watchmen the other day, mm -hmm. and I was thinking to myself, like, God damn! Like between the spring of '08 and the early spring of '09, we saw Iron Man come out, uh, obviously like May of '08, and then we had Dark Knight come out, like I think in July of '08, and then in like March or April of '09, we had Watchmen. So yeah. like, God damn! Like that was a decade ago. But you, when you're talking about like a good year for superhero movies, like that's as good as you're going to get in terms of Marvel putting its best foot forward, DC putting its best foot forward, and getting a kick-ass R-rated movie. It's like how have we gone backwards in the 10 years since yeah. then 
but that would never happen because as I was watching the ultimate edition of, of uh, Watchmen, I, I kind of poo pooed Watchmen when it initially came out because I didn't like the changes to the giant uh, octopus monster, uh, which I yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Architects of Fear monster, yeah, yeah, which I, which I really wanted. But what I noticed with the ultimate edition that it does better than theatrical cut because it inserts all the black tales of the black freighter stories. It but acts as a like chapter. three and a half hour version, right? That, yeah. I really think it's like three hours, 45 minutes. Right. It acts as great little chapter breaks. And I was like, you know what? Watchmen's not too long. Watchmen is actually too short. If they had made it a six hour miniseries and broken up, cause it adapts the first couple of issues in that maxi series extremely well. And then it's, starts to kind of jump around a bit and it starts to move a little too quickly. Like if like perfect example would be like the, the Rorschach interview bit. It was way too short to have the impact that it should have had. Once again, it should have just been a great miniseries. But I, I think if you watch the Ultimate Edition, I don't like the animation style of the Black Freighter, but I do like Gerard Butler's voice in it. But it does break it up. So it doesn't – I just think it doesn't work as a feature. It works better as chapters in a story. And I, I was really impressed by how much more I liked Watchmen now than I did 10 years ago. I, I think it's one of those films. It's miraculous that it just kind of got made at all and, you know, with a pretty – big budget and I, I think you're right like structurally it doesn't make that much sense as like a three-act kind of film like it feels so imbalanced really when you think about the way it's paced the way it builds but you know when you think about the issues in the series how you would read that it, it works as a sort of chapterized story that that's kind of the way it's meant to be told and I, I think a lot of things in the graphic novel the series like it's um, it's really thoughtful about the medium of comic books and how it's telling the story that way. And to translate that to film, I think a lot of that's actually inherently lost as sort of visually faithful as the film looks to it. It sort of loses that interaction with, you know, the actual comic book medium, which makes it sort of a tricky thing to adapt to film or television at all. Um, you know, I, Actually, like the changes to the story, I, I don't mind as much. Like I think as far as like a screenwriting decision, you know, to take out the giant <laughs> tentacle monster and make it uh, Dr. Manhattan, you know, the one sort of really super powered character that, you know, would unite the world against this one alien. You know, he's not an alien, but he's this sort of otherworldly godlike force that could unite everyone. Like it actually neatens the story and plot and makes it a little bit more streamlined, you know, for a film. I, I think uh, that that makes sense to me, you know, some of those types of decisions. I think, you know, where it sort of struggles, it's it's trying to be faithful to a thing that, uh, you know, wasn't meant to be a movie. I, I think, you know, a version of Watchmen that would be more successful as a film or, you know, of course, now we have the new TV series coming out from HBO. I think it would sort of have to rethink how it tells the story and, you know, maybe comment more on superhero films. I know the Watchmen film did like a little bit with, the, you know, adding the uh, the bat nipples on Ozymandias' costume and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. But, you know, I think really like, you know, it, a good adaptation with something like Watchmen that's so specific to comic books might not necessarily be a totally faithful adaptation. It might have to rethink the story and rethink the weights telling that story and you know maybe that's what the series is going to do i don't know but yeah we'll see but yeah. it's like well, as i was watching the movie what i liked is that it's one of the few superhero movies that really looks at superheroes in a fetishistic way and if you go to comic-con and you see cosplayers walking around half of them 
I mean, they're like, they're, I mean, they're very attractive. Like <laughs> they're not designed just to be like fun costumes. They're really trying to show off like what they got. And I think most superhero movies, for whatever reason, totally disregard and ignore the sexual fantasy aspect of superheroes. Like, which I, why I appreciated some of those jokes about Captain America's butt in Endgame. Like, man, that's, that's America's <laughs> ass. It's like, all right, they're acknowledging that people are attracted to these characters. And when you look at Malin Ackerman in her outfit, and you look at Night Owl, and you look at all these characters, like the costumes in Watchmen were so fucking cool. And of course, Dr. Manhattan, his big blue ding is just wagging around the entire movie. Like, it just makes me sad when I see it in 2019. <laughs> safe things are you would not see a movie opening on 3500 screens with a giant blue dude with his dick waving around in the wind that's just not going to happen in time that, that felt like i can't believe i'm watching this i, <laughs> I wish his like mouth moved like a regular person's but like there it is you can't can't really deny what you're seeing on the screen but I, so, I, well, Adam, I, Adam, I know you've been banging the drum for Brent Watchmen for a long time and oh. i've been kind of ignoring you but now i'm willing to believe you any thoughts on uh watchman's legacy well, I mean, at, at the time, I, when it came out, I was actually, uh, I was working for Apple at the time. We were working with Warner Brothers on some cross-promotional things with iTunes to kind of promote the release. And I got to meet Zack Snyder, and I got to meet some of the cast, and we did these events in some of the Apple stores. So it was, uh, I kind of got hooked on it before it even came out, kind of the, the hype <laughs> that was being built that I was involved with. Uh, and I remember watching it, an advanced screening at the, I think you've been there, James, that Warner Brothers screening room uh, in Midtown. Uh, I remember going to an advanced screening of, of the film there and just that opening fight up in the penthouse apartment where the, the punches were so brutal and the sound design. I was like, I've never seen a, uh, a superhero movie like this before. Like this is, I'm like scared for this guy, you know, he's going to get brutally killed and yeah it was just it to me it anything that it lacked in story and or I, I guess not story but in sort of um its structure made up for in style it's one of those movies where style sort of overcomes some of the other in my opinion yeah the way silk specter whips her hair around yeah. she she's always whipping the hair i was like Oh my god, that, that hair is like the coolest thing in the movie. That long straight hair to her waist yeah. and the way she kind of like just she's trying to look cool while she's beating the fuck out of people. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I really well, respect they go that. To the prison and they're just beating up people kind of for fun. Like I, I yeah. forget what he says like right before they go, but you know, they put out some fire somewhere and she's like, Oh, you know, going to a maximum security prison's not gonna be putting out a fire. And he's like, Yeah, it's gonna be more fun. And yeah. they're actually yeah. enjoying what they're doing and you know the, the like kind of play. feeling that they're coming to lie, uh, coming to life as they're putting on their costumes and becoming superheroes. They're kind of like waking up and getting back into it. You know that's where the film kind of starts to perk up a little bit more and kind of you know you literally feel the he's wheels impotent. turning. Yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's impotent until he gets the costume back on, and it's like that's it's right. what brings him back to life. He, you, he can't get it on until they've gone out and saved the day, and it's that post save the day you know, kind of rush of adrenaline yeah. where they finally, you know, they really rock out Leonard Cohen's hallelujah. But real quick, we have a super chat donation for Bill Scurry for the second time. So I owe you a whole bottle of McAllen now. Speaking of sexual predilections, have either of you seen the Brian Yesna adaptation of Faust, Love of the Damned? Not only have I not seen it, I haven't even heard of it. Oh, what man. the hell is this? <laughs> I just remember for a long time, you could always find the YouTube clip of this woman, does like her breasts enlarge and she just kind of turns into a puddle. It, like Brian Usna, he's he's uh, you know worked on all these like '80s horror kind of effects, so it's him kind of doing a horror superhero 
crazy gore effects kind of a movie. It's it's totally insane. It's totally batshit. I, I, I think uh, maybe recently there's been a like Red Letter Media Best of the Worst where they covered it. So more people probably know about it now. But th that's the kind of thing like I wouldn't be surprised if like Arrow Video puts out someday and you know, has a million behind the scenes special features about all the crazy special effects you see. Is it the kind of thing where my life, I won't realize how empty my life has been until I've discovered this thing? Because it sounded like I might be the perfect target audience for it. You might be. I have a feeling you would appreciate this. It's uh, it's pretty pretty far out there. Nice. All right. Well, hell yeah. I always appreciate a good recommendation because it's one of those things where when we started coming up with this list or this topic, I was like, there's just not that many movies to choose from. You want to you know, talk about your, your favorite R rated sexual thrillers. Well, guess what? There's probably a couple thousand you can, you can look at and possibly choose from but when it comes to R rated superhero movies, especially live action. It's just not the world's lengthiest list unless you want to broaden your definition. And so yeah, it's kind right. of slim pickings and it's just one of those things where man, Hellboy really needed to be a hit. Viper yeah. really be it's it's like every time one of these movies fails or underperforms, Hollywood immediately seems, oh well, people don't like to see R-rated superhero movies. And this is Hollywood is in the business of giving us a whatever they perceive us to want. And if we show up in droves to something, guess what? We're gonna get a hell of a lot more of it. And so the, it's up to the filmmakers and the audience to both be part of the process. But if a film sucks, a film sucks, and it's just I, I wish people could like. I guess distinguish execution of an idea versus the initial concept because yeah. the same concept in different filmmakers' hands can have wildly different results. You realize that a film maybe not connecting isn't because of the trend that it's following. You know, it might have something to do with the film itself. I mean, the Hellboy film, I told you, like, I had actually pretty high hopes for it. Neil Marshall's got, like, I think a pretty good track record. He's made some Hell fantastic yeah. films. Uh, you know, if you told me, like, oh, the guy who did Dog Soldiers is doing a Hellboy film, I said, oh, that's perfect. I like the cast they put together, you know, and Hellboy, I think, should be an R-rated film. Like, that's that's one that it kind of makes sense for. And, you know, I, I really respect the Guillermo del Toro ones. Like, I think especially now that the new ones come out, but I never quite connected with them. Like, they're kind of films that I always sort of say I, I kind of like more, you know, when I, I think about them than when I actually, like, sit down and watch them. I don't rewatch them that often. So I was really looking forward to a new Hellboy, a new take on it, and it, like, it just felt like one of those things, you know, maybe there's some good elements, but it just kind of was pulled in a bunch of different directions, and, you know, you never quite got comfortable with the film, and, you know, there's sort of neat bits here and there, and I kind of like when the, you know, you have these apocalyptic demons coming up and impaling people on their feet, but it's just, you know, such a messy kind of experience. I know there were rumors about behind the scenes trouble with it i don't know how much of that was a factor it had like a how many producers like a, you know more than a dozen producers too many too, yeah. too many so like it, it kind of felt like maybe there were just too many cooks in the kitchen and that's why it turned out the way it did you know even with the negative reviews coming in like i would have been the first person to be like oh no this movie's actually good but you know if, if something's not good you can't really force yourself to like it or you want to die yeah. on that hill. I kind of did die on that hill. I actually, I was one of the few people that gave it a, like a, a, pretty... a fairly positive review. But I was just, because I just like the idea. Mm -hmm. It's one of the, I'm so in support of this movie yeah. of making already yeah. superhero movies where I feel like I need to kind of die on, like go to the mat defending them. But it's one of the things where Hellboy, it had great scenes, but it was kind of a mess overall. But I'm noticing we're an hour in and we have not yet finished your list. So give us right. your four, three, and two from your top sure. 10 list. Uh, my four, three, and two 
it's Punisher Warzone. Again, I think it's pretty close to like a platonically perfect R-rated comic book adaptation. Um, I know the podcast, How Did This Get Made, did an episode a long time ago. And it, it's like maybe the best episode of the whole show. I kind of dropped off when they stopped having guests on and stopped having like uh, people involved with the film, I mean, coming on and kind of actually explaining. But Lexi Alexander basically talks through how it got made and how, you know, certain decisions about the marketing might have hurt it or how like after Dark Knight came out, they went and redid the soundtrack she wanted. But, I, you know, I, I think it's sort of overlooked as far as R-rated superhero adaptations go my number three is super the james gunn film super very nice and my number two is uh, blade of course i'm uh whoa my little brother sorry i'm sorry to interrupt <laughs> no. you charles hancock from richmond virginia who is uh is, oh well, school's out so it's not it's not school nine. usually he's playing a Fortnite round right now but charles just gave two bucks which is fucking awesome but yeah charles you should have uh dropped me a question charles and i are actually going to be hanging out in italy starting this weekend and uh, yeah, the whole Hancock crew's going over there. So Charles, I don't know if the, the rule is in Italy in terms of uh, legal age for drinking, but we might have to get you, we might have to have a beer if the Italians will uh, will allow. But that's awesome that Charles is hanging out in the uh, in the super chat. I'm glad I didn't say anything too strange for <laughs> over the course of this conversation. But it's funny, Charles, I always use them as like a way of kind of judging just like you know just a whole different generation and how they look at this stuff and it's like he's really into a lot of these characters but i've noticed it's almost always in the context of the video games like he's a dc fan but it's not because he's read hundreds and hundreds of issues of the justice league it's because he'll play injustice for hours and he'll enjoy the characters through the cinematics so it's just interesting seeing how different generations are embracing these characters and how they're uh, aware of them and like they'll go to a wiki like his older brother robert he'll go to a wiki and look up you know, pages upon pages of background info on these characters, but not necessarily be that interested in going back and reading the back issues. So it's just interesting seeing how these characters are evolving for a new generation. But Charles, thank you so much for the two bucks. Uh, your next uh, Xbox One game is on me. But Martin Kessler, I totally interrupted you while you were in the middle That's of fine. describing your three and two because I got so excited to see my baby bro. <laughs> That's perfectly all right. Uh, well, three, that's uh, James Gunn Super. That um, I don't know how many people know about it now because it's, it's been out for about 10 years i think like time flies but that's what catapulted james gunn onto doing uh, the guardians of the galaxy films like you know going from this weird independent not based on anything superhero dark comedy to doing you know giant superhero movies for marvel that, that was a huge jump but uh I think Super's probably his best film. You know, I've seen Slither. I've seen some of the other stuff he's done. But, like, Super is such a standout for me because, you know, the approach that it takes what a superhero would be like in the real world, other films have kind of done that same thing too. You know, Kick-Ass, you mentioned, it's like, oh, what would it be like if somebody was really a superhero? Or, you know, we were talking before the show about uh, Defender with uh, Woody Harrelson. Uh, I yeah, love no, it. That's another well, one. I kind of love but it. I love his performance. <laughs> he's, he's, I mean, it's Woody Harrelson. He can't go completely yeah. wrong. So, like, uh, but Super, though, it's, it's really stylized, actually. It doesn't try to make it too grounded in reality. You're actually inside the headspace for a lot of it of this person who's kind of demented uh he's off he's he's off like i i think even though it's a superhero dark comedy like really that the film it has most in common with is taxi driver 
hundred percent in a good way. But yeah, I mean, he, he's basically just beating guys in the head with like a, a wrench and he's kind of okay at his job. But I love, I mean, Ellen Page, probably Ellen Page has never been better. I think she's yeah. so I damn mean, like, funny. Juno's, Juno's sweet, but I, I think like for playing a character who's funny and kind of fucked up and, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to swear. He's demonetized. But... <laughs> I think I already demonetized this earlier by, by, by my language. Uh, but, 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 uh, <laughs> sorry, but, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's maybe like my favorite Ellen Page performance. Cause she kind of has a little bit of everything to do. Uh, the whole cast is really good. Like Kevin Bacon, Liv Tide, like all the supporting cast is, is really good. Michael Michael Rucker. Rucker. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, how weird is it that like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is like a blue person who had like a lovable character in a Disney film now, Disney Marvel? Like it's so bizarre to me that Michael Rooker, Henry from Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, is like in Disney movies now. But yeah, in a uh, weird way, I was kind of hoping that when De- when uh, James Gunn had to kind of go in timeout last year, that he would retreat to making movies like Super again for my own mm-hmm. selfish purposes. I totally get now that it was actually, they never intended to let him go. They just needed to get the merger between Fox and Disney approved. And then they could say, oh, we, we never actually fired him. That was just like a cover story, et cetera. But now we're going to get a Suicide Squad movie from him as well as a right. Guardians movie. But because we get so few movies, like Super or Slither or his mm. PG porn movies, I miss the crazy, weird James, the, the dangerous yeah. James Gunn, the ne'er do well, the uh, the blight on society. Because we have far too few filmmakers these days that are willing to be a blight on society. So I, I wish some, I wish, I, I guess I wish the next generation of those lunatics would emerge. Absolutely, like Guardians of the Galaxy films. Those are some of my favorite Marvel movies. They're so much fun. But like Super, you really get the sense that like he's unleashed. And even though the budget's like tiny, you know, it doesn't matter because you know there's so much creativity and the performances are all fine. Like Rain Wilson, you know, he's done a little bit of dramatic stuff. Of course, everyone thinks of him from The Office, where he's he's hilarious. But you know, like he's done Hesher, where he's playing a serious role. But you know, one thing I like about Super is it's right down the middle. It's that mixture of the dramatic and the comedy that he does fantastic. He does so well. Like, um, you know, when he's like sitting there crying and he, you just have the voiceover where he says, people look stupid when they cry. And, <laughs> you know, you start laughing at him. And, you know, this character that you kind of can't quite take seriously, but also, you know, he has like a real threatening quality to him and the real pathos to him and it's actually a pretty complex character you know like he takes it the superhero as like an empowerment fantasy so far where you know he's cracking people's heads open because they butted in line he has such a you know sense of uh i i feel those impulses when people put on turn on their phones at movies it makes me want to scream shut up crime and start beating him over the head and you know butting in line is bad but putting your turning your phone on in a movie is infinitely worse because now we have assigned seating so don't worry about people butting in line anymore but we have phones i, I wish i had magneto's powers just to the extent where i could not only i i, I wish i could just like, make the like the like the phones explode like a little like throwing star in all directions and just like penetrate their hands and they'd be like it'd be proof of their guilt but i don't want to get too dark since this is a show now for children since we have a 14 year old in the right. audience but what is your uh what is your number two uh, my number two is Blade with Wesley Snipes. Oh, cool! Gotcha. All right. I think I think it counts. Like it's one of those ones, t- that's like right on the borderline of like, yeah, like you know, because I always think of it as okay, it's this horror action hybrid 
oh yeah, it's also a comic book movie. That's kind of like my second thought when I think of it. But you know, it's definitely super heroics by adding in the action and everything. And you know, Wesley Snipes just totally owns that character, especially the first two films. I, I think are very, very good. And um, I don't know it, it, it's such a fun world that's created. You know, you could probably make the argument like, well, if Blades a superhero is uh, Kate Beckinsale in uh, Underworld a superhero, the Death Dealer, like you know, certainly it, qualifies. Maybe it, it, it could well, qualify no comic, like some of that. Right. Same sensibility, same aesthetic. Same, but same uh, Adam, thing. I saw, yeah. Adam, I just saw you perk up because we have yet another Hancock in the, <laughs> in the chat. We've We're got, multiplying. Yeah. yeah, we got Robert Hancock. My family's big. But yeah, Robert Hancock, who also will be joining us on the trip, who's slightly older. He is uh, also a gamer. Also, he's probably read more comics than any of my other siblings, although Billy Armfield is probably in that competition as well. But uh, Robert has read most of Jason Aaron's run on Thor. And uh, yeah, he, he and also he reads a lot of science fiction, science fiction books. So Rob, Robert and I kind of we bond over our mutual love of fantasy, sci-fi, comics, and that sort of thing. But yeah, he usually is playing something like Skyrim while Charles is off in the other room playing uh, playing Fortnite. But uh, I'm very proud of my baby bros. And yeah, we're going to be hanging for a couple of days. And they're actually going to be in New York pretty soon as well. But R Roberto, hello. Thank you for the uh, donation. I will buy you your first beer if you don't already drink uh, once we get to Italia. All right, well, Adam, have I missed anything else going on in the chat while we've been uh, chatting? Because yeah, I'm just I'm I'm tickled pink that Roberto and Carlito are hanging out with us in the chat. It was, uh, yeah, it was brought up. Uh, the question was brought up about Toxic Avenger. If is this one? And I, I said, fuck we, yeah, we definitely consider that to be uh, what was it eighty? It was eighty four, eighty five. Eighty four is the initial release. I think it may be eighty six on VHS or something right, like that. Right. But definitely a superhero character that um, is R rated. And pretty hard R at that for a. I saw it for the first time ever a couple of days ago, really? and at least oh. for like the first half, I just I laughed and yeah, laughed and fun. laughed. I had so much damn fun. I remember seeing on VHS, um, uh, we would just watch all the gross scenes, like the when they're tr trying to run over the boy on the bike and to get twenty eight points. It's just like it, it like kind of scarred me as a child watching that, but. <laughs> oh, and they get better. I don't know if you've seen yeah. any of the sequels, but like Toxic Avenger 3, Citizen Toxie, like they, they actually increase in quality as you go further along because it kind of became like the trauma flagship character, I right. guess. Yeah. And like, again, that sensibility obviously fed into James Gunn, who started off at trauma and like super, you can kind of see, like it looks like a trauma character with the messed up mask and everything. And there are other like trauma kind of superhero type characters, uh, Sergeant Kabuki Man and stuff like like that, but, oh, yeah. um, you know, there's definitely that kind of dark comic R-rated sensibility that uh, James Gunn came out of. And it, it's sort of funny to see that influence eventually make its way into the, uh, you know, mainstream superhero movies. <laughs> We need a new Troma, though, man. I love the fact that James Gunn graduated from Tromeo and Juliet, where he was a writer and kind of like behind-the-scenes director to doing such big and great things. But when you watch something like um, Toxic Avenger and you have this atrocious, like, non-actor, like, unintentional comedy at play, I miss just these completely, utterly deranged movies that not only are not trying to pretend to be good for you, because I feel like so many filmmakers, they try to pretend like they're giving you vitamins or this is going to ennoble the human spirit and this is going to make you feel like a good person. I want movies that take you right down to the gutter where you just wallow in the filth and the depraved behavior of despicable characters. And it's just, 
it's such a no, the 80s <laughs> I, I made so much fun of the 80s in the early 90s but i didn't appreciate them at the time but there's something just glorious about a, a movie that's trying to do nothing other than make you laugh at the most ridiculous just juvenile humor imaginable right and i just like, feel like that that style is so frowned upon right now lloyd, lloyd coffin who directed toxic avenger and obviously founded you know trauma films he's uh he actually is very active on twitter he's retweeted me randomly several times i'm just like how are you how are you going off and discovering me i have no idea why you're you're retweeting me but um that's what's great about twitter some of these old school directors have found a new voice to meet reach their fans and it's uh he's he's got a a really fun account I'm subscribed yeah. to their newsletter and like he does find new young filmmakers and finds people to work with. And it seems like he's always kind of, you know, it's like a step below that Roger Corman school. <laughs> but, yeah, right. You know, he does kind of find, you know, new filmmakers all the time. And I don't know, some of them might have careers that go past that. You, you don't always know. Like, of course, people got to start somewhere. So like, I, I think he's involved in that sort of thing. Uh, the, yeah, 80s kind of rhyme though. I, I I do miss that. <laughs> like yeah. you know, especially now, you know, like I, the ease of digital filmmaking. It's a wonderful thing for low budget filmmakers, but you do kind of lose something. Like I love yeah. all these um, the, the vinegar syndrome uh, movies where you know they take some awful direct to video 80s film that's kind of nasty and mean spirited. And it's shot in 35 millimeters. You exactly, do a new yeah. transfer and put it on Blu-ray, and it's like better than anything I'll ever shoot. You know, it's it's right. actually beautiful. Well, that's, that's I, I was, why that yeah. early those 80s schlock movies, even though mm -hmm. they were, you know, low budget, they still had to be shot like a real film on film with real professional, you know, film stock and sound sound people. It's like they they were making a movie today. It's like you said, everything sort of is cheapened by the ease of digital filmmaking. So everything, you just cut, you're cutting corners and everything was lit poorly and everything had to be lit well if you're going to get, right. you know, you're going to get a, a good to expose an film. image. Yeah. And now, like a lot of the, the kind of like schlocky stuff, like not necessarily superhero things, but, you know, you think of stuff like Sharknado and like, right. you know, that, that one's sort of a joke on top of that uh, already. But, you know, all these like snake, giant steak movies or, you know like anytime i look through like what you know what's the schlager today uh that asylum you know, is that the name of it asylum that yeah asylum does that and like there's a few other companies they do these like yeah. sort of cheapy direct-to-video sort of things and like channel. they're so joyless compared to like the yeah. direct-to-video 80s early 90s kind of movies that i remember growing up with where you know sometimes like you could rent a film from the video store and it would be kind of awful but also completely entertaining the whole yeah. time you know it's like well you know it, this movie's bad but there's like a stabbing every five minutes i guess i'm into it so. right absolutely <laughs> well hey martin i'm just noticing now it's 11 12 so we're going to start right. running out of time soon so it's the big moment drum roll what is your number one r-rated superhero movie of all time uh, it's going to be RoboCop. What else could it be? I feel like that's kind of the gold standard for all of these. You know, the satire, the violence, the, all the things we sort of touched on. I, I think RoboCop encapsulates, you know, its sense of humor, its sense of tragedy. It's such an incredible film. It also, I think, you know, even though it's not based on a comic book, I think so many superhero movies now could actually learn a lot from it by going back and just looking at, like, 
it's a it's a, what you would consider an origin story, right? But like he becomes Robocop in the first act. Like, okay, he's Robocop now. He's doing Robocop stuff. It, it happens very quickly. It moves along. It's got a clear story. It's got an A plot and B plot that kind of come back together in a really clever way, you know, where the two villains, you know, one villain working for the other. And it just, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's a perfect film. Like it, it's by any standards, a perfect film, not just as a superhero film or R-rated film. You know, Paul Verhoeven to really figure out the way to make that film feel right the kind of exaggerated punches where people go flying i i think it, it's just the perfect tone for what i look for in an adult version of a superhero story and of course i loved it as a kid it's, it's not just uh <laughs> for adults even though it, it's full of horrible horrible violence but i i feel like for that mature sensibility for something that's intended for an adult audience it's it's kind of the perfect version of whatever you might look for in in these sort of r-rated superhero movies and also paul verhoeven used to have this unique ability probably still has it he just hasn't dabbled in sci-fi in a long time but he's able to make these movies that are satirical but he's able to make like a movie that's anti-fascist and pro-fascist like all at once like if you look at starship troopers <laughs> well, or Robocop, like that's that's what a real satire does. I mean, like, what was, you know, the famous example of satire? It's like, oh, eating babies sure would be great. You know, like, of course it's not. You just say it loud enough and that brings out the ridiculousness of the statement. I, I think that's sort of what he does. It actually, you know, I mean, like, I'd never want to go to war after watching Starship Troopers, you know, compared to like, uh, you know, just say uh, Saving Perfect Ryan, it's a film that starts and ends with shots of the American flag and actually finds valor and heroism. And, you know, that's totally fine. That's what the film is about, you know, sacrifice and things. But like I watched Starship Troopers and it's a completely ridiculous sci-fi concept and it's colorful bugs and, you know, daytime TV acting. And you think like, wow, I, I never want to be in a war for my entire life. Like that looks terrible and you know people not thinking for themselves that's horrible and you know well, you get to had... hang out in the shower with some really pretty girls everybody's equal in the world of starship troopers <laughs> sure. it's, it's a, a sort of american version of a fascist utopia i guess is the yeah. idea behind it but uh you know it, it's on one hand incredibly entertaining and also thought-provoking I, I think you know the fact that you can make those films that sort of work on two levels um, you know, I think that's what makes Paul Verhoeven a really great filmmaker. And, you know, he's done all kinds of films. Uh, the sci-fi ones were, of course, what got me into his movies in the first place, Robocop and Search of Troopers and Total Recall. Uh, not so much Hollow Man, <laughs> that's maybe his, his worst film. But, you know, and gradually I, I saw the other things. I saw Basic Instinct and Showgirls and saw, you know, his... Um, Fourth Man. Fourth man, fourth man is so good i watched spetters yeah. the other day it's fantastic all these yeah. dutch films now you know like his more recent stuff black book and and l like you know he's such Damn a good. great l personal filmmaker brilliant still has edge to him you know i think he's a real uh treasure and you know i can't really say he's underrated because he's got so many fans and people love his work but you know it's like you can almost forget how good he is because he's kind of slowed down he's a little bit older and like he's had some projects that didn't come to fruition but uh, he's what 76 years old now I mean, he's a yeah he's a, he started making movies in the his early new film 70s. in the works his new film's coming along i saw like production stills so he should have a new film uh you know pretty soon i'm, I'm not sure when it'll show up maybe next year 
but uh, you know, it used to be sort of a long wait for any kind of news from him. But you know, working with somebody like Schwarzenegger in Total Recall, like that, you know, again, he's like a comic book action hero in in the flesh. You know, that, that's about as much as you can get. Like those kind of sci-fi action films that he did had that comic bookiness where somebody's head could swell up and explode on Mars, and you know, just not real world physics, not reality, and you sort of understand that and accept that. And I think that's a really tricky thing for a filmmaker to do. Like a lot of my favorite of these films that we talked about, they do kind of create their own reality where, you know, the violence is heightened actually, like the the uh, look of it, the style of it, it's, it's not trying to be realistic. You know, I, I think sometimes when people want their superhero films to be kind of gritty and realistic, they might not know what they're asking for because sometimes you get it and it's, it's not that interesting. What's kind of interesting about the comic bookiness is when you can actually push those boundaries into the absurd or into the exaggerated you know when somebody's head blows up they really blow up <laughs> you know or if they drive their truck into toxic waste they emerge like <laughs> a toxic avenger in seconds i mean yeah it's just robocop is a masterpiece and yes. i saw it when i was 11 i was enthralled and at age 42 i'm more enthralled and that's really rare where movies right. get better when you revisit them it has so many layers it is the I 100% agree. It is the perfect live action superhero movie, and I can't say enough positive things about it. But it's 11:20. So Adam, I haven't been following the chat because I've been actually kind of fell under Martin Kessler's spell there for a second. I was just listening to him. Have I missed anything great? Because I see just uh, I see Bill Tech and I see Bill Scurry and I see Fred. I see a lot of people going back and forth. But what is going on uh, in, in the chat that's got everybody buzzing? It's most people are just uh, chiming in about their you know about Starship Troopers or or RoboCop. I mentioned my favorite Chinese version, Robert Cop. Um, <laughs> it's a joke, a little inside joke <laughs> that I think everyone here uh, on the wrong real crew knows about. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's not really questions here. Um, if you guys well, have questions, start. the time yeah. or yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, now the floor is open just as a way of uh, just shining a light on my own uh, ideas. I'm going to just real quick rattle off my top 10 because I haven't even mentioned my top 10. Right. It's changing all the time, but my list right now would be 10 would be super, 9 and 8 would be the Sin City movies, Eight kick, uh, 7 Kick-Ass, 6 Watchmen, 5 Deadpool, 4 and 3 The Kingsman franchise, 2 Logan, number 1 Robocop. And it's one of those things where I changed it like five times just this afternoon. So there's a lot, it all depends on how much caffeine I've had and what I've seen most recently. But I do consider the Kingsman franchise to be superhero movies. I know right. a lot of people say, oh, it's just an homage to James Bond. But it started out as a comic book. It was The Secret Service by uh, with um, Dave Gibbons doing some absolutely astonishing art. Absolutely loved and adored it. And I feel like when you get into people with robotic arms and you get into this heightened sense of reality, it's, it feels very superhero E for me, or the character played by Sofia Batella in the first one, just one of the coolest villains in any superhero movie I've ever seen. She was so fucking badass in that. If you're running around on sword legs, sorry, it's not a spy movie. It is, it is a, a superhero <laughs> movie at that point. So I, I really enjoyed this movie and I look forward to the prequel and I look forward to the TV show and all the movies they have planned. Especially like now that James Bond, you think of like the Daniel Craig ones as being a little bit more grounded to kind of go against that. And it's like, oh, no, we're going to get into like the Roger Moore kind of inspired James Bond stuff. But like that especially feels really superhero-y. Um, and we haven't talked that much about Logan that came up on both of our lists. I mean, that, I mean Logan, it's killer. It's awesome. You know, what, what was kind of great about it? Like the um, 
I mean, Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman, of course, like they've been playing those characters so long and getting a chance to kind of do something a little bit different with them was great to see. But I always think like the the actress who played the young woman in X-23. that- X-23, yeah, Laura. X-23, Laura, like her performance is really what makes the movie for me looking back at it now. And like, I think if that didn't work, the film would have kind of fallen apart. You know, and she starts screaming like in a, Spanish after being oh, silent no, it's, like the first so hour. <laughs> You know, and the idea of like giving a you know Wolverine a daughter character like that that could have gone down so badly. I, I think like within the how best it tradition handled, of the character, Wolverine yes. in the comics for years had this tradition of taking younger girls under his wing and grooming them and turning them into total badass. That way, it sounds bad. But <laughs> no, but it's no, no but it's it was yeah, it, yeah. I mean, never in any sort of weird like sexual way. But like in the early no. '80s, Kitty Pride was that character. They even had a 12 issue right. limited series uh, called like uh, Shadow and something. Anyway, it's basically she yeah, went Kitty from being Pride like Ariel, like Jubilee, or you yeah, know, I, I think the first X Men film, Rogue. Like the, yeah, there is that tradition with the character and. Uh, you know that relationship that formed between them like was really effective you know like I, I tell people I was kind of like I, I don't know about this film a little eh, you know what about the bad guys not that memorable and then like you know get to the end and she calls him dead and I was crying <laughs> like you know oh the film it worked on that emotional level it kind of bypasses any sort of you know nitpicky criticism you might have like if a film works on that level you can kind of let Anything else? Slide. Everything else go. Yeah, it's so. ironic that Marvel obviously is the big success story over the last ten years, but over at Fox, which had a less consistent track record, where you got a lot of silly movies like Fantastic Four or a hundred times over, and you got all these dumb flicks that have come out of that machine. But you did have Deadpool and you did have Logan, and for me, they're both proof that R-rated superhero movies can be big business and have variety. Deadpool and Logan could yeah. be. They couldn't be more further from one another in terms of style, tone, what they're trying to do, and they both really worked well, and I think they're two of the strongest. One's funny as hell. One's really moving and dark and bleak, and I just love those movies to pieces, so it is a lot. Go ahead. Both movies, going back to what we were saying earlier, they're both films that were very director-driven and very much a product of those directors and their vision that and, and they, they were allowed to take those chances, right? They were allowed to tell their story their way. And so I guess there are a few examples of, of these better films sneaking in that are director-driven after 2012. But they're, they're fewer and far, farther between, it feels like to me at least, in uh, this past decade. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big believer in what Kevin Feige has accomplished, but Kevin Feige is running the show, and he runs yeah. Marvel like a giant TV show, and it is the yeah. world's most beloved TV show right now. But in a show, it's writer-driven, it's producer-driven. Mm-hmm. You like Unless you have David Lynch doing Twin Beaks of Return, you just don't see directors coming in on a TV show and putting their fingerprints on individual episodes. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't. It's not in service of the material. But if we had a Marvel Knights logo, like a brand within a brand, where you could see Blade, chopping up vampires or you could see just these really interesting darker supernatural characters coming in I, it would just be such a wonderful boon to fans who don't want to see just movies like ant-man and captain marvel like if we just had movies like captain marvel and ant-man i'd quit marvel entirely i just i think the russo brothers style is so perfectly like the, the, i think they're making their movies their way it just happens to be like the marvel house style right. so it was like a perfect harmony but with the russo brothers leaving and taiko watiti's got a million other projects planned like his live action akira and uh, it's like well, all you got left is james gunn 
We have a, a question uh, from, uh, well, originally from Joe Duffy, John Cribbs repeated it. Do we think that Demon Knight, the Tales from the Crypt film, is a superhero movie? I didn't consider it for this episode, but I, I could see where you're coming from. There's a couple like ones that it was sort of borderline on. I thought maybe if I mentioned them in the chat, people would start yelling at me in the chat. Uh, but yeah, I, I think you could make a case for Demon Knight, maybe. Yeah. Tales from the Crypt. Like, yeah, especially like supernatural kind of stuff. If there's action involved, it does. I mean, if Spawn is a superhero movie, then yeah, 100%. Spawn. Yeah, I mean, there's. I mean, yeah, we haven't so, talked about like some of the upcoming R rated superhero movies maybe in the works. That's maybe. Far worth. away. Sure. I mean, Spawn is the one I'm looking most forward to. And Tom McFarland kind of deciding that it should be low budget and it should be scary, uh, you know, definitely is exciting to hear. I, I think like the Spawn movie from the 90s, it's, uh, you know, th there's some interesting stuff there and some fun stuff, but a lot of it kind of feels like a big miscalculation. It felt to me, it felt to me like they were trying to make a superhero franchise. Like they yeah. want action figures. They want, you know, they wanted to turn it into the next, you know, kid friendly or yeah. teen friendly. I mean, I, I saw that as a kid. I, I saw yeah. that in the theaters with my father and like, it was fine as, as a kid, but you know, you think it like as an approach to spawn, uh, you know, what's a million times better was the HBO animated series, yeah, which was very like brooding and you know very adult and moody and you'd hope that a new spawn film might be a lot like that um you know jamie we fox r-rated image shared universe we need sure. savage dragon we need savage all these uh, fun. yeah we need all these yeah. guys but it's one of those things where we need a shared universe apart from marvel to actually work i mean shared universes are so great in theory but no one's been able to make one stick except for one guy kevin feige and it's like it's i feel like sequels are easier to do but image is perfectly teed up to be an awesome shared universe it's there's so many other for the for savage dragon think about it yeah i mean <laughs> you could I, have I just, a live action want... movie of the max that would be boiled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i just want more variety it's just yeah, one of the things yeah. like, i love and adore marvel but i don't want it to be the only game in town well, and now and... that like with the fox merger there's some stuff where you don't know exactly what's going to happen in the future if they're going to become disney-fied like uh one that it seems like it keeps getting pushed back every time i hear something new about it is the new mutants <laughs> was supposed to be R-rated yeah. X-Men horror story, right? Like, I don't even know what's going on with that. Like, it's coming out next you know, spring. Is Disney going to just like, maybe, maybe, you know, they said it was going to come out before that. So I I don't know. They keep kind of changing the release dates on that. And, you know, part of me wonders, like, is Disney just going to like shelve it or completely recut it and reshoot it? I wish they'd shelve Dark Phoenix. Taylor Joy going to look completely different if there's like reshoots. Or Macy Williams. Macy Williams was like 17 when she shot it. She's like 22 now. But, uh... <laughs> right. You know, so like, I don't know what's going to happen with stuff like that. Because if it doesn't quite fit into what Disney's vision is, you know, is it just going to get squeezed out? You know, even somebody like Deadpool, um, you know, they might might keep it around if it makes money, but they might not know what to do with I it. I think they, they do keep it. Fox as a brand within yeah. a brand. They will continue to make Fox movies so they can make like Aliens movies and Avatar movies and things like that that don't feel like Disney. I mean, <laughs> Disney is princesses. Disney's cartoons. Disney is Marvel and Star Wars. Have, you know, they're, they're um, well, what was it called? You know, they, well, they, they would have like studios underneath them where they could 
brand stuff that was more for adults like you know absolutely would, yeah uh, i think they keep fox going just so they have a home for deadpool if nothing else yeah. but it is now officially an hour and a half in so i'm going to give y'all a chance to plug and promote anything you work on your social media as well as making any final comments on uh on this topic but adam will let you go first what do you got cooking in the oven where can people find you and you want to make any final uh you know just thunderous points on this topic <laughs> Uh, I'm on Twitter at Adam Rackoff. Uh, that's my one and only social media presence. So feel free to follow me. I'll follow you back and we can keep talking about comics and superheroes and movies uh, all day long. Um, I got nothing really big to plug at the moment. Um, I'll just say that a, a fun little, it would be R-rated, short film is, if you haven't seen it, The Punisher Dirty Laundry with Thomas Jane. It's a fun little um, violent 10 minute short film. You can find it on YouTube. It's essentially a sequel to uh, his Punisher film that was released uh, at first at Comic-Con and went right you know, to the internet. And I think it's a, it's a lot of fun. I would like to see more like, a, examples like this. I would like to see more superheroes uh, presented in short form in little videos or little short films on the internet like this where directors are given a chance to just kind of go crazy with a concept and have like fun. the hardcore power rangers when they yeah, were adults exactly, and things like that yes, exactly I, I i'm all for that kind of experimentation and and at least and sometimes it could be a great proof of concept for something that might actually work in longer form so it's a for me um that's one of my favorites yeah, I just also want to see some that are smaller budget. Like John Cribb just mentioned the Bill Sienkiewicz, Chris Claremont run of New Mutants, yeah. which was so experimental and so distinctive and so wild in the mid-80s that it kind of like upset me as a kid. It wasn't like the stories were upsetting, but the style was so groundbreaking. It almost kind of like, like made my brain explode because it was so different from something drawn by, by John Byrne over the pages of Fantastic Four or whatever. But I want to see the movies do a similar thing where you have – someone with the visual flair of Sienkiewicz making a movie that looks and feels totally different from the rest of the pack. And I just worry about sameness, uh, uh, yeah. kind of like ru ru ruling the day. And that's the kind of the death of creativity. Right. But uh, Mr. Castle, where can people find you? Where can people find your podcast? And any final just, uh, you know, just earthquake, just recommendations or suggestions or ideas that you want to uh, throw our way? Uh, sure. Um usually over at flixwas.com where if the flixwas canada podcast it's going to be a busy month next month i think uh usually i'm on twitter at movie kessler tweeting all kinds of movie things and uh where i make announcements for new projects i maybe the only thing i want to echo is like really people should check out the authority because i, I feel like it never gets enough love and it's really just fantastic storytelling, awesome. really out there, <laughs> really boundary pushing. Justice it's, League for adults. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, this episode's been a blast. And I don't like, you know, I like my Spider Verses. I, I, I do like uh, family friendly stuff too, but it, it's fun to just kind of focus in on the, you know, superhero fantasy stuff for adults and dealing with adult issues in these films, but also being entertaining. So I, I enjoyed this a lot. Thank you. 
Beautiful. Well, I can't thank you guys enough for wanting to come on and talk about this topic. And I can't thank everyone enough in the chat for the many donations. It was awesome seeing my baby bros. It was awesome seeing so many familiar faces and from the podcasting world and the Twitter world and the filmmaking world. Just, uh, yeah, I wish I need to have like a way of like a second like bar that will promote all like the books that people are writing and the films they're making and all the other Twitter profiles so that people can follow up on everybody in the chat just to see whatever they're working on because this chat is made up entirely of creatives who have all their own endeavors. So, yeah, definitely feel free to plug shamelessly anything you're working on in the chat because I would love for this chat to become a situation where people are getting to expose more of their stuff. But hope you all enjoyed this conversation. I had an absolute blast. And I'm going to be doing some travel next couple weeks. I just found out I'm going to go into Berlin for the season two premiere of Dark in a couple weeks. Because of my review of the first season, they let me help in this little documentary about that's promoting the next season. So I'll be traveling with my baby bros in Italy, and I'll be going to Dark for the premiere. So I won't be doing any live streams for the next couple weeks. But then I'll be getting back in action later this summer. But hope you all enjoyed the show. Can't thank you enough. But more importantly, as always, onwards and upwards. It ain't like it used to be, but uh, it'll do. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow.